0: two of the Vacation Bible School Podcast. I am once again your youth pastor Jason Kirk joined by Emily Kirk who I, let's just go ahead and name Emily the pastor. Do you accept this honor?
1: I'll pray about it.
0: See, that's why she's the pastor folks. Today we're going to be talking about Genesis 6 through 11. Last week we talked 1 through 5. Now it's time for the second main event of Genesis.
1: There's a lot that happens in the beginning of the Bible.
0: <laughs> On this show we go bit by bit through the Bible and we try and sort of separate the received instruction that we got about all this stuff. And we try to look at it with new eyes, fresh eyes. We do not do this to denigrate anyone who takes it literally or anyone who says absolutely none of it happened. We're all in one big gathering together
1: here. We're just expecting... Exploring it.
0: So we're going to be talking about Noah's Ark and the Flood and the received inherited interpretation of this story.
1: Basically, everyone has heard some sort of story of Noah where, you know, there's a flood. Noah is called by God to build an ark and he takes animals two by two into the ark to save them. Okay. What we don't learn about is why we get to that point. Really? I don't think that's discussed often. Well, I think
0: the story we get, the Noah story, is like,
1: yay,
0: animal parade to a boat, and they're all going to get on and go sailing with a happy family, and there's going to be smiling giraffes, and smiling rhinoceroses. Yeah,
1: and smiling dinosaurs.
0: And so, like, you have an example of how that is presented, too. Yeah,
1: so I have here the wonderful Bedtime Devotions with Jesus book. There is one that references Noah, so it's called Grace is Never Lost. It uses Genesis 8-1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and tame animals with him in the boat. So this is basically like a little story to tell us that God is always with me, so I am never alone, and how it ends this passage is saying, thank you, God, that you always know where I am and never forget about me. I can always trust you. So that's obviously a very light take on this story where God protects Noah and these animals, but then we're left to question, where's everyone else
0: this book the cover is a smiling teddy bear and there were two teddy bears on the ark yay and all the other bears were drowned by god along with 99.9 percent of all earth including baby humans
1: yeah and that would give children nightmares so they couldn't put that in the devotional
0: because the real story is way 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 darker than the smiling happy animals. Right. Genesis 6. God is mad at himself for making people. God regrets the creation of humanity. Every single one of them, and not just the men, but the women and the children too.
2: They're like animals.
0: Specifically, God is mad at humans about how violent they are. Where'd they learn that big guy? God was the first one who ever killed anything. He killed an animal in the Garden of Eden to provide clothes of some sort for Adam and Eve. God condoned Abel's bloody sacrifice over Cain's cruelty-free, locally sourced sacrifice. And here is God wanting to kill almost every living thing on the earth. I think the humans are getting this message from somewhere. God has a theory, God has a hype, and also God is mad at the Nephilim, but more so mad at the humans who are too sexy for the Nephilims to resist. There's a lot of this stuff we're gonna skip over and get into with our guests later on god's hypothesis is that quote flesh has corrupted the earth so he wants to kill all of it i made an eden people ruined it i gave them new rules and a, a new broader not quite eden but still nice place they ruined it the animals too everything it's all bad so god goes to noah god likes noah noah's a nice guy and god says you're gonna build a boat noah says what's that god says shh here are specifications for you now let me flex these specs 450 feet that's correct John Mayer this boat that God instructed Noah to build was once you convert cubits to feet about 437 feet long now John how tall are we talking here six or seven decks that of course is a little bit larger than the Bible version but it matches up with the epic of Gilgamesh version We'll get into that shortly. So Noah is supposed to cram two of every animal on this thing.
1: Well, every kind, not necessarily every animal, but every kind. So uh, a bit broad.
0: And also every kind of food that is eaten into this boat that isn't that big. I assume that means, so you it would take up a lot of space to have an entire like Doritos tree. So you make it more like a seed bank. Yeah,
1: we bring, we bring in a lot of seeds. So
0: you bring the Doritos seed instead of the entire Doritos garden onto this boat.
1: If you take
0: all the animals literally to the extreme, there's no way to really even know what that means because even modern science, we don't know how many animals there have been. There are all sorts of estimate all over Wikipedia. It'd be conservative to say about a hundred million different species of animals have existed on earth.
1: Yeah, and that wouldn't fit on this arc.
0: That's not gonna fit on so anything.
1: We're just gonna bring like the basic animal of each kind.
0: <laughs> so like literal creationists actually do sort of explain how this is even remotely feasible by. By saying, like, no, we're not going to bring two of every breed of dog. We're going to bring two wolves.
1: Right. They, they literally say kind because that's what we learn in the creation story anyway is that there are kinds, not species. So... Okay, but how do we get species from kinds?
0: So even in a literal creationist world, we're going to bring on two wolves and then we're going to trust genetic mutations to get wait, us wait, to- Wait, what? Whoops! Can you say that? Moving right along.
1: Are we allowed to talk about that?
0: <laughs> and the other thing is Noah's not taking on gigantic, fully formed brontosaurus. He's bringing a baby There are no brontosaurus. brontosaurus. So the atheists, the, the cruel, cruel atheists, not only did they murder the planet Pluto that we grew up with, they also murdered Littlefoot from Land they Before my Time. my favorite of everything. They said there's no brontosaurus they had different names.
1: Yeah, there's something else now. I can't remember the name.
0: This is all a joke with our atheist friends. So Noah's boat is like yacht-sized, according to John Mayer. A yacht can fit like a couple hundred, few hundred people, plus their hot tubs. Right, multiple hot tubs. And they have to be able to play. So
1: let's say the animals didn't need to take a bath during all this time because they could have just like gone swimming in the flood. (laughs) So that was their hot tub.
0: Yeah. We're fitting somewhere between tens of thousands to hundreds of millions of animals on this yacht.
1: By the way, tens of thousands is still a lot of animals for this space. a lot of animals. We don't need fish. No.
0: fish can swim. For very complex Bible law reasons, you got to have a ton of birds on this thing. We'll talk about that. Tardigrades, I assume they're fine anywhere.
1: They can live on the moon.
0: Shout out to our target great friends on the moon watching down on us. Yes, thank you. At some point, they will return to us with the solutions and answers. Speaking of the the distinction between Noah's Ark and Gilgamesh's Ark, there are lots and lots and lots of flood myths from all over the world. Dozens of cultures. Basically, anywhere you have a creation myth, you have a flood myth. There's all sorts of reasons this could be. like. It could be something buried in our psychology. It could be there were actual ice ages and you know everyone around the Earth saw glaciers receding and whatever. It could be that, hey, maybe there was an actual world wide flood since humanity arose would that confirm the noah story well it would confirm the gilgamesh story which is the older version of the noah story that has there's more in common there than there are differences and it would further confirm the story that the gilgamesh story copied so basically the noah story was likely written somewhere between 500 and 2,000 years after these stories that inspired it were written down and they might be even older if you're a literal creationist and you're saying aha all this stuff confirms Noah's story is real well
1: confirming the others are as well
0: yeah you're confirming the older And
1: there's no reason they can't all be one and the same.
0: Uh, Yeah, that that is is a a stance of this podcast that shout out to Gilgamesh for paving the way. Yeah. (laughs) So Genesis 7, uh, it starts raining when Noah is exactly 600 years old. (laughs) Mark it down. God, who is throwing a flood tantrum because people were being too violent, has now murdered every living thing that had been born in the 1100 years of the earth to that point, except for a handful of stuff crammed onto John Mayer's yacht. The waters all around the earth are now 22 feet over the tallest mountain, if we take the Bible literally, that means Mount Everest, that means we have 30,000 feet of water crushing the earth. Noah is up there. It's about negative 30 degrees on Mount Everest that time of year. Noah does not have a coat that we know of. It would also be nearly impossible to breathe at that air pressure I don't for that know. amount of time. I mean,
1: things could have been different. The atmosphere was different.
0: The atmosphere was different because the firmament, the sky ocean around the sky before the flood had just collapsed to become the flood. Right. A more charitable reading would be: this could be more like ten thousand feet, because there's a mountain in Iraq about that height. Still, that's a lot of water. Basically, Genesis seven is just describing the incredible amount of wetness on the Earth. Uh, the main differences between Noah and Gilgamesh at the end of Genesis seven: some animal counts are different, the amount of water is different. In Noah's flood, is forty days. Gilgamesh's isn't even a week. Our God is the wettest God. It
2: rains. From <laughs> it rains ever. so very long.
0: So Genesis eight. <laughs> Genesis eight at this point. So God remembered Noah. That was, we read about that in bedtime devotions with Jesus Mm -hmm. in the context of the story. That verse is hilarious because Noah and his family and like the farting cows and the bears trying to eat the pigs and the scorpions and every kind of harmony.
1: He only chose the good ones to come on the ark, (laughs) So they were all peaceful.
0: So all these smelly animals and Noah and his whole family, they're all crammed on this boat. It's been 40 days of rain, 150 days of flood months and months and months. At this point, the next action that God takes is quote, God remembered Noah. Oh, Right, that's where I put that guy in that little shoebox the little shoe by the way It was shaped uh, like a shoebox. It was like a a a sailboat like we see in the cartoons,
1: right? It was like a shipping container a very large shipping container.
0: Yes, God was trafficking animals Mm -hmm. from Babylon
1: all the way
0: to Turkey. Yeah.
1: He <laughs> pretty much floated.
0: Flood. There's a global flood. And Noah and his family Storms floated like...
1: Up and then back down. 900 miles. It didn't go very far east or west or north or south.
0: We do know, by the way, like it's mentioned Mount Ararat is where it lands. And... People have tried to find Noah's Ark there. We'll let you know when they do. So, God sends a wind to start drying out the earth from the water that is 30,000 feet above regular sea level. He uses a wind. We go back to Genesis 1 2 in our creation episode. The Spirit of God, the wind of God, is hovering over the formless chaos. The planet Earth is nothing but water, and God is winding over it, and this is how land is formed. The exact same thing happens seven chapters later in Genesis 8 when the wind of God begins drying the earth from from a formless chaos water void back down to continents. Just like Gilgamesh and like so many other flood guys, Noah then sends out doves and ravens and stuff to find dry land. Noah sees the earth around the ark is dry. After more than a year stuck in this shoebox, God tells Noah to leave the ark, says the same thing he told Adam, be fruitful and multiply. This is key because the way we receive this story, the happy sunshine, puppy dogs and kitty cats on a cartoon sailboat version of this story is that God was preserving Noah so that he could then repopulate the earth. That is not what happens. Entering the flood. Or
1: it's open for interpretation anyway.
0: I I think that's fair. But to me, God enters the flood thinking, I have screwed up. People were a mistake. I should not have made them. It is not a leap of logic to say that God is supposing it's time to get rid of all of them and just have animals. God sees what a good job Noah does in shepherding all these animals and God adds to the deal. And he says, Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Have a Family, humans can continue. To me, this is a very valid interpretation of God moving from anger at himself to remorse for what he did out of that anger. So the doors of the ark are thrown open. A hundred million animal species all stampede and fly and slither out of the ark, crawl all over the earth. And Noah grabs like a bunch of giraffes and oxen and antelopes. He grabs and them. Somehow he slaughters them as an offering to God. So, like, these animals have been cooped up in the shoebox for a year. They're like, hooray, we're free. Nice try. You're going to be burned. And your smelly smoking blood is going to go up to God's. I doubt
1: that's the approach that he took.
0: I mean, someone had to kill them for right. the offering, the giraffes.
1: It doesn't mean he enjoyed it.
0: God did. <laughs> well, Why would they do it if God clearly says in the story of Cain and Abel that he just loves it when animals are slaughtered. Remember, this guy doesn't like violence.
1: Well, he doesn't say all of those things. At least we don't know what he says. I think you're being gentle to our guy, God.
0: It's it's clear he likes it when stuff dies. So Genesis 9, God says, all right, new rule. First rule was don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You couldn't handle that rule. Tell you what, there is a new rule. Noah, go do whatever you want, but... Don't kill people. Only I'm allowed to do that. And don't eat stuff that is currently alive while you were eating it. This implies that one of the pre-flood problems was zombies. The horrors. Was people just walking up to each other and just ripping chunks out of each other. God said no. That is what certain kinds of fruit are for.
2: Can you
1: imagine what people's teeth looked like back then? Like, if that's what they were doing with them?
0: Just filed the sharp points Just, so ugh. they could gnaw on each other. Terrible. God twice promises to never again destroy everything with water, and he says, the rainbow is the symbol of that covenant. So now we're making deals. The deal is don't become a zombie, and the world will not be destroyed with water. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. I think Noah got the best deal he could out of this. So flood mess, there's tons and tons and tons of these things. Some Many of them sort of radiating from Babylon are similar to pre-Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh, and Noah, they get more and more different the further out you go. In some versions, Aztec, Greek, Siberian, somebody invents booze right after. Noah does this too because the change in the, the, the theory is the change in the oxidization of the atmosphere due to the firmaments collapse makes fermentation of grapes possible. It is written, Noah invents wine. Boy, does he invent wine. As he has completed this massive task, he's put in a lot of work. He's earned a day off. He's witnessed the deaths of almost every human on earth. He's got some grieving to do. He's got survivor's guilt.
1: He's exhausted. All of
0: these things could be valid reasons for him to partake of the wine he's invented. We don't know exactly which. Might have been all of them.
1: Well, he also may not have known what it would do to him.
0: He quickly finds out because right. the next time we see Noah, he is laying butt naked nude. Right. And is found by his son, Ham, who then goes out and tells his brothers. The two brothers go in to cover Noah. Noah wakes up. He's mad at Ham. It's implied for not covering up Noah, but it really could be literally anything that could happen when a person is naked and then Ham's lineage is cursed. Uh, Also the Russian version of the wine thing here. Noah is drunk while building the Ark. Didn't even need to say this is the Russian version. And his wife's solution is to get Noah even more drunk.
1: Can you imagine what kind of person they thought Noah was if she just needed him even more drunk than the initial drunk?
0: (laughs) Russian. (laughs) So Genesis 10 is the survivors of the Ark. Their lineages, they spread throughout the earth. It's very boring genealogy stuff. There's some foreshadowing, like Philistines come from Egypt. Like it would have been better as a map, Ezra, if you're thinking about content types. Um, The one thing in Genesis 10 I want to mention is Ham's grandson Nimrod, a word you've probably heard of, where here's where it comes from. Babylonian king, who might have been real. And he's mentioned in Genesis as the first on earth to become a mighty warrior. And when you throw those words in front of two to 4,000 years worth of theologians and saints and fanfics and mystics and so forth, buddy, you're going to get, there's a ton of extended universe lore about Nimrod. Everyone thinks he was probably in charge of the Tower of Babel. Attila the Hun was a huge fan of Nimrod. The Freemasons think Nimrod was like a co-founder. there are myths from Hungary and Armenia and Finland and Scotland about Nimrod. Scotland has him as the founder of every pagan religion. He's even a bad guy in Baha'i, which is the religion about how all religions are okay. Wow. So Nimrod is just one of the most productive figures of the Bible based on... He's kind of the Boba Fett of Genesis. Doesn't do anything, but he's kind of cool, I guess. So we just. His name is Nimrod. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. It feels very out of order because it's about people coming together. But we don't know how much time has passed, but it doesn't feel like a lot. Why are they coming back together if they just spread apart from the ark? It feels like if you move Tower of Babel before Noah, then you have, not only do you have people are coming together and are then scattered, and then there's a flood, you also have like an escalation of violence. Because what God does once he sees these people come together to build a tower to heaven, is he knocks the tower over and he confuses their languages so they can't understand each other. If you have that before the murder of the world, it's an escalation of violence. If you have it after it's just like, buddy, we just made a covenant, you gave us one rule, and now you're knocking stuff over that didn't even break a rule. This ties back also into Eden because remember from the creation episode what God was actually maddest about it was Adam and Eve accepting the power of the tree of knowledge having access to the tree of life Adam and Eve being on a path to become like God the Tower of Babel story is about people also constructing a path to heaven to literally challenge God remember we have these overlapping authors this is much more like the wacky uncle author, whereas a lot of the Noah story is a lot of the priestly author, a lot of rules and spreadsheets and stuff. In this one, once again, we see the biggest sin of all is to try to be anything like God. Genesis 11 ends with lots and lots of genealogy stuff again. There's a guy named Abram who was born, and we'll discuss him in the next episode because he is very important. He's born somewhere around southern Iraq. His wife, Sarai, is barren. That'll matter a lot. They move around a little bit throughout the Middle East. But that is from the flood story Abram. Support for VBS happens in a couple different ways.
1: You can throw us a few bucks at supportvbs.com, however many you'd like. By the time you visit that link, there might be bonuses for donors and or merch. But all Canon Bible book episodes will always be free either way.
0: Also, for no bucks at all, you can follow us at VBS Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe to our newsletter at JasonKirk.substack.com and leave us a review on your podcast app of choice.
2: And see all this stuff around me. I don't give a heck. It is time to we welcome our very first
0: guest pastors to the Vacation Bible School Podcast. Uh, I assume the two of you gentlemen are doing the guest pastor pose as we speak head bowed hands on knees like doing the finger point prayer hands while you humbly listen to your accomplishments and achievements being listed first up we have michael felder in the bleachers on the social medias of watchstadium.com where he is a football analyst hand in the dirt a gardening podcast about football. Mike, how are we doing today?
2: Man, I am doing all right. Coming to you straight from the garage studio. So we are ready to rock and roll.
0: It's very nice. It's a workmanlike setup that Jesus would appreciate. There's uh <laughs> you're ready to do some carpentry in there.
2: Oh yeah, I am ready to go.
0: <laughs> we are also joined by guest pastor Ryan Nanny, celebrity hot tub on various social medium. He is a middle manager at a business company. That is exciting. <laughs> I'm thinking about
3: about going back to lawyering. I think that's the move.
0: Just like the Pharisees. Yep. uh, He also once dressed up as an onion on national television.
3: Yep, that's true.
0: So the two of you gentlemen, uh, we are going to discuss the biblical as well as the motion picture stories of Noah. A little compare and contrast between the two. But first... Let's get to know our guest pastors. Let's talk about let's talk about our walks with Christ, such as they are. And whatever form those walks might have taken. When we bring our guests on this show, I wanna talk a little bit about church backgrounds. The weird, the fun, the sincere, everything, you know, any thoughts you guys have. Mike, I feel like we can start with you because I think you and I had pretty similar backgrounds. Southern Protestants in the building 19 times a week. Lots and lots of music and activities and all that stuff. Do I I have the gist of it right? Yeah,
2: I think you got it pretty square on Vacation Bible School. That is the thing that I did every summer. So (laughs) that was it. We hit that pretty hard. It was a way for my mom to get us out of the house. And also, it was a little bit cheaper than going to the rec center (laughs) summer camp. So we were able to do that. And you know, you spend a lot of time there. And it's been, honestly, Jason, it's been interesting because my wife didn't grow up going to church like at all and so during quarantine we've like different things have come up because we went through easter and so i talked her through what easter looked like for me as a kid and which is you get up in the morning yes you get your easter basket but then you also have to put on the best clothes that you have probably clothes that you went shopping for the week before <laughs> and you know you you go to sears you go to jc penny you get you get your nice little your small boy suit and put that on and then you gotta go to sunday school if you mess up and don't wake up early enough to go to the 8 a.m service you gotta go to the 9 a.m Sunday school then the 11 o'clock service after the service you get a little Easter brunch and then you have this and that and took her through that I also oh and I don't know is this a thing for you guys like Easter like pageant was Some, that a thing sometimes yeah did you not
1: for me okay. we just did sunrise service we had one service but it was at the crack of dawn that was it that like was an our extra Easter. one on Easter yeah no the,
0: and, not an
3: and extra I assume one. I assume it was S-O-N-R-I-S-E well yeah actually
1: maybe in the Southern Baptist world but not in the Nazarene <laughs> so y'all don't
0: y'all don't, y'all don't cram <laughs> okay. puns.
2: No, into everything. No, no,
1: we just got up at the crack of dawn to go have Easter service.
2: So yeah, we. I was letting her know that I had to do like, what is it, Geth cinema, like a re- that reading mm-hmm. in front of the entire church. And so I was like, so Easter really started a week, two weeks before when my parents are like hounding me to rehearse my lines so that I could essentially be off book when I oh, read in wow. front of the entire church.
1: Oh yeah, for like Palm Sunday, for those sort of yes. things leading up to Easter.
2: Oh yeah, and she was like, that would be embarrassing. And I was like, it is embarrassing, <laughs> um, especially when you, you don't memorize it because I don't know, you're doing all your schoolwork. For me, like we grew up going, I have like a do a split church life where my mom didn't grow up going to church really. She grew up in lower Delaware and like her family kind of lived not on a farm, but like on a pretty self-sufficient plot of land. And so they had to work all the time. My grandma didn't go to church. She worked every day. So my mom really wanted to do church with us growing up. She thought it was something that was really important. So my brother's second grade teacher. Our first year living in Charlotte suggested a church tour. We ended up going to my little brother's second grade teacher's church for a while. Then we played sports with another family, I think the Hams, and we tried their church out. But all these churches are some mix, of whether it's Southern Baptist or AME Zion, African Methodist Episcopal, which they're not different. My number one takeaway from my brother and I used to try to fake sleep in (laughs) to try to get out of church. But the problem with that is if you fake sleep in and you miss the 8 a.m. service, that means you got to go to the 11 o'clock service. And when you go to the 11 o'clock service, there is nothing on the back end of it. So it can last a long time.
0: Oh, yeah. Is this is this where it comes from your disdain for when football games go to overtime? You know what? This could be it because church went to overtime a lot. Church church goes to overtime a lot. Go for
2: two,
3: church. Come on.
0: Yeah, pastor. Please go for two. Yes.
2: You get into that. If you get to the 8 a.m. service, they have to stop at nine because Sunday school starts at nine. Yeah, You can get in there. You can get out You can get your Sunday school. You can go home. If you miss the eight and the nine o'clock Sunday school, then you get to that 11. 11 can turn into two o'clock really easy.
3: <laughs> yeah. Man.
2: Oh, a couple man. folks <laughs> get the Holy Ghost. A couple <laughs> folks start running up and down the aisles. They start playing the praise music. They ask people to come down, become a member of our church home. And then a couple people do that. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, this sounds like a wedding where they <laughs> open the floor up for
3: speeches where they're like anybody who wants to talk about the bride. Yes. And you're like, you don't, even know one of them.
2: How are you giving the speech? Just Pretty much, yeah. Lord like That's what we're heart. looking at. And then the other part of my church growing up was, I spent summers in Fayetteville because my parents were both teachers, and so they did like teacher work days. So we would go to Fayetteville with my grandparents, and we went to a military church. And wow, then, what is that like? It's fantastic. Because they get you out of there? <laughs> they get you, it's one hour done, and people will get up and leave if he goes past 1201.
0: <laughs> yeah, because we, we, we got, cause we got I, like laps to run and push-ups to do.
2: Yeah, my grandparents were so entrenched in the community that even though we got out at noon we didn't get home until 1.30 because you have to do you gotta meet everybody you gotta talk to every single person and compliment this outfit or this hat and then you gotta have this snack it was really weird for me because it was such a family experience I think a lot of people their home church like where they live is like their family experience but for me going to church in Fayetteville felt more familial because it's my grandma and my grandpa it's my mom and dad it's my little brother but then it's also my grandpa's brother and his wife they're like like four kids, they're four kids, kids. So it's like a whole felder unit rolling together there. Plus, all the people that my grandma does was doing like service projects with. And oh, this is so-and-so from there. And you know, we're working on the community center over there, and we did the park cleanup over here. And the best part of it to me was getting to go to children's church mm-hmm. where you run down the aisle, like and now the kids are released for children's <laughs> church. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you take off running down the middle of the aisle in church and to the side, right before you get to the and you run off to the side and you get into that little children's annex and they read you like bible stories and you act them out and do the whole deal and then at the end you get those generic sandwich cookies <laughs> with the orange drink yes <laughs> classic that i mean that to me that's the whole deal like that was my like lifetime of growing up oh and by the way i was in a church bowling league and i was really good
0: yes <laughs> yeah I, I was hoping we got a mention of the uh <laughs>
2: <laughs> the bowling champ. Oh, yeah. I was really good. That was in Fayetteville. So we would go church, leave church, and they would have food at the bowling league. It was right after. It was like one o'clock. All the kids from church, everyone that I was in children's church with was in the bowling league. I was the only lefty. I had a nice little angle, a little spin a on little, the ball. Put a little English on it? Put a little, yeah. Do you and think this I'm asking my us. blind grandpa, how do I pick this up? <laughs> what should I do with this? Because my grandpa, before he went blind, he was a bowler. He had his own ball. My grandpa's ball is called Black Beauty. Nice. <laughs> and, <laughs> So he was like, tell me what's happening out there. And I'll tell him what's happening. He's like, all right, you need to move over to this set of the arrows so you can hit it this way. And I'm out there killing these kids.
0: <laughs> you have like a blind prophet of the Lord on your side and he's like divining, yes. divining the pins for you. With that, plus the psychological advantage of being a lefty, they had no chance.
2: <laughs> no shot, no shot. <laughs> so then after,
0: so like after bowling league, is it back for Sunday night and then back for Wednesday night?
2: Wednesday nights during the, like during the school year, yes to Wednesday night Bible study. I also tried out Young Life and I just realized this was my friend's excuse to go smoke weed. <laughs> <laughs> Sundays, Sundays were interesting because we didn't do Sunday nights. We would, usually we would be getting in the car to drive back to Charlotte on Sundays if we were in Fayetteville, or if we were in Charlotte, Sunday night was like my parents, their teachers. So that was their big work night to make sure they had everything, all their ducks in a row for the week. So they're like, we can't, we're not doing anything on Sunday night. We have supper on Sundays where we eat, you know, early that three or four o'clock dinner. We have every man for yourself. If you're hungry later, go crazy, find the bagel bites, eat something. Up. I'm not helping you. I want to hear I want to hear Ryan's.
0: Yeah, so, right. Ryan, Ryan is from a whole different planet, please. Mine is
3: so I am a lapsed Catholic and it tells you a lot that like Catholicism has a term that is so frequently appended to it in lapsed. Like you don't hear about lapsed Baptist or lapsed Methodist. I don't think like lapsed Catholic is the term. I grew up Catholic my whole life. We were not CEOs Christmas and Easter only okay. Catholics.
2: Oh, nice, um, yes.
3: We did go basically every Sunday. Like occasionally there were be a reason why we didn't but more or less we were every sunday attendees so for the benefit of the audience i was thinking about like okay how do you explain the difference between catholicism and or like the protestant faiths as a bundle and the way i think about it is protestant faiths tend to be more like a true open world game where they're like here's the world go do your thing you have to like monitor your hit points and manage your inventory and whatever but like you can kind of do whatever catholicism is like a pretend open world game where they're like oh you can't go in that dungeon until you get this key and you can't get this key until you (laughs) defeat this boss the sunday service follows the exact pattern every mass with the exception of of christmas and easter to a t like the order's the same the call and response is the same the selection of songs is very limited the selection of readings is really limited and it always lasts an hour it is unhurt if you go to a mass that lasts an hour and a half something happened, like something got added. Maybe there were like a bunch of baptisms that got added. Maybe there was some big announcement, like they have a new priest coming in, whatever.
0: There was like a fire broke out.
3: Right, but your journey through Catholicism follows that fake open world progression. You get baptized first when you're a baby. Then you do your first communion. Then you do confirmation. Then you get married. And then when you die, you get your last rites. And, like there and, are some other have, ones in there. There's Between confession.
0: marriage and death, you have like 15 children.
3: That's right. That's right. And you baptize all of them as well. Yeah. Um, so I only completed the first two steps. I was not confirmed in the church, not because I wasn't necessarily open to it, but I had been attending a multi-faith youth group that I had some friends in and that i Forget I forget what, what branch of Christianity the church was that ran it. But I was in it for like two, three years. And it was just like, I think what most people think of youth group. We did some excursions here and there. We did some community service. Most of the time, we just like met up in a church rec room and like somebody had a guitar and we could talk about how weird it is to be 11. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And when we went to, when my parents went to our parish priest and said like, hey, we want to get Ryan signed up for confirmation. They were like, well, he has to actually have done youth group here for two years. Wow. You start now, two years from now you can get to <laughs> And that was the moment where I was like, no, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. <laughs> and, and I just sort of like peeled off since then. Now it helps that in that time or, so, so between, I think that's when you're like 12 or 13 and now, uh, the public face of the Catholic church has had some, uh, some bad PR days in between. But yeah, that was like, we didn't, do, all of the, all of these other things that y'all are talking about, I am familiar with because I had friends who were not Catholic, but like church on Wednesday. Day not a thing. Going to church twice in a day not a thing. Children's church not really a thing. Like sometimes there would be small versions of it, but most of the time it was like, okay, five-year-old, you sit here in the pew, listen to everything that's going on, kneel when we kneel, stand when we stand, sing when we sing. There's not at least when I was growing up, there was not a lot of division about here is Catholicism for kids, here is Catholicism for grownups. Interesting.
0: So like it's an open-world game <clears throat> versus a game on rails, both in terms of content and in terms of time investment. Yes. Catholicism is like an episodic experience. (laughs) You get get one level a week. It's the same as it was last week. It's a good level.
3: (laughs) and even like one of the interesting things before like getting ready for the show and thinking about it because mass is structured in such a way frankly even the way like mass is updated feels like a video game where every 10 years they're like okay here's the update <laughs> we, we're like rolling out the here's mass 2.3 what here it, are like, the updates to it
0: what kind of change would that
3: so like the 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 big update which predates i don't think i was even born or maybe i was very young mass for years and years and years used to have a lot of latin in it yeah and eventually they were like, yes. well, m- people don't know Latin. Like, this doesn't really connect the people. I want to say that was Pope John Paul II, but it might have been before them. They basically came out and were like, we're going to make Mass more accessible to people who don't speak Latin. But like, like there have been this changes. This is like since for- then.
0: 1400 years in.
3: <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and there have been changes since then, like small tweaks to like, here, we're going to say this instead of that, blah, blah, blah. Even those changes, even like, we're going to change what we say during this portion of call and response that comes from the pope all the way down there's not a lot of like local agency in terms of like i want to do this with mass this week there's some you have your homily but outside of that like you're really not getting a lot of like and what is okay, what is what is that uh, the homily is the section you do three readings every week you do one old testament reading one new testament reading not from the books of the gospel and one gospel reading okay and then the priest gives a a lecture or speech that's basically like here's the theme even the readings follow like sort of a church mandated pattern the church says on this day these are the readings that we are doing kind of worldwide. And there is some sense to that because if the Catholic Church is trying to say like, we want mass and we want the experience to be the same no matter where you are, okay, I kind of get that. But as a result, there are whole sections of the Bible that I am aware of and that I know through other means but we never read them in church. We never talked about them in church and I'm pretty sure what we're here to talk about today is one of them. I don't remember anybody standing at the podium and being like we're going to read the story of Noah. Maybe they did but it, it was not It was not on the greatest hits by any means.
1: I I don't actually remember ever in big church, in big kid church or grown up church, hearing about Noah either. It was always mm-hmm. in children's church because for some mm-hmm. reason this is a very child friendly story.
3: Right. <laughs> right, and we did we did do vacation Bible school as well, which probably isn't that different from like non Catholic versions of it, where you sort of talk about traditional Bible stories. And the joke I always made to my brother and sister was they'd give you like a page from a coloring book and they'd be like find Jesus in the picture. Trick was to circle everything be like Jesus is everywhere. Yeah. That's
2: smart. the answer. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ryan, we so one of my best friends from high school, his mom is Methodist and his dad is Catholic. My parents, I don't know if this happened for you guys, but when I spent the night out on Saturday nights, my parents were like, you have to go to church with the other family. Mm-hmm. And if you're not gonna go to church with us, you have to go to church with them. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the top gaming of the system that we had was going to mass because it was one hour and then we could go back <laughs> home and go to bed. And that was our goat now i don't know anything that was being said because i they still did stuff in life right but i took my cues followed along knocked that out and we're back because they had an early mass that i think was at eight and they had the regular one that was at 11 and we would no matter how much we went out the night before we would get up get up at 7 (laughs) 30 get dressed go to mass, be home by nine 15. And we're back in bed.
3: It's very easy to go through mass in a passive way. Like it's very, there is not a lot of expectation for you to like shout or even <laughs> sing particularly loud or like, <laughs> you can, you can get through it in a very much just like mm, 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 mm. you can char- yeah. sort of Charlie Brown's
2: teacher your way through it. Um, no singing, not a lot of singing. Like we, <laughs> right. that was another thing that made church go very long was if the, if oh, the yeah. choir got into a groove or listen, if you looked up on that stage and they had the, the amp out with the guitar, Guitar, oh, yeah. You're going to be there all day. I don't think this was 100% true, but
3: most of the masses I attended did not have a choir. Like, there was maybe a singer or two, but there was not a choir. Um, the other thing is, and maybe this, is, I, I will fully concede this could just be a Florida thing and not a Catholicism thing. People did not get that dressed up. I went to some church services with friends who, of different denominations where they did get dressed up and where like dad was putting on a suit and whatever. But like, there are a lot of, at least in Florida Catholic masses in the 90s, there are a lot of polo shirts more t-shirts than you would think there are very few sport coats and ties with the exception of like christmas easter and the and the days where like everybody's getting dressed up florida catholics dress as if, because they are, they're going to go to Home Depot immediately after Mass House.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there's, that's kind of a late 90s thing, I assume, like, throughout Christianity. Here in Atlanta, the first Baptist Atlanta, where I went until I was, like, six or seven, where the president of the Southern Baptist Convention was literally the pastor. That spawned the Jeans Church wave. Like, that was it was a very hardline Southern Baptist Church that the pastor's son then sort of founded the, like, cool Jeans Church. And then, in the 90s, I went to a cool Jeans Church. And I think, Emily, yours was...
1: Well, Sunday night was cool Jeans Church, but Sunday morning, everyone dressed up. But okay. my church was small. There were like 200 people in the congregation. So like it was very much your typical small church with the old lady who played the piano and we had not a pipe organ, but we had an organ and all of that. Yeah, no, we still wore dresses every okay. day.
0: And so and that, Mike, you had a more formal experience generally?
2: Oh, yeah. you getting dressed up. Okay.
3: So that also, Jason, you reminded me of the other big difference. Like I'm, I am saying things that I think everybody on this call knows, but I don't know who's listening to this podcast. I'm trying to help. In the Catholic church, A, all the priests are men. Yeah. And B, none of them are married. You cannot be married and serve as a Catholic priest, which is very different from from oh, yeah. <laughs> from every from most other religions. And there are a lot of interesting historical reasons for that, which we don't have to get into, but they like largely amount to the church owned a lot of land. And they were tired of having will battles and custody battles over like <laughs> who owned who uh, that land okay. <laughs> because if priests and popes had kids. But that like... Is a very big difference. And it also like really changes not only your ability, but the context of like how how families and people within the church form a personal relationship with the faith leader. It's not like, oh, I'm playing baseball with his kids. My mom is friends with his wife or something. The paths to becoming friends with a priest are very specific and kind of weird sometimes.
0: Yeah. Emily, you've talked about how seeing leadership in the church, like seeing their wife in sort of a unofficial second in command kind of role.
1: I don't know about second in command sort of thing. Like maybe the youth pastor that I had growing up and his wife, they very much were a team. So like one of them didn't exist without the other sort of. I never had a pastor in a church that wasn't married. So that's totally different than like the Catholic church. Not that it doesn't happen, but yeah, most Pastor's wives that I grew up around, I would say were very mild mannered, very sweet and compassionate, but not necessarily like seen as a leader in the church.
2: Yes, same on my end. It was like a I would say that there was some leadership, but it was like leading like the women's group, leading or setting up activities for kids. Or the choir. I sort of (laughs) think about like
0: in high school, the girls in our youth group, they at least had women that were in positions of some leadership capacity. Yeah,
1: we had we had lots. Of women that were involved with the youth in some form or another that we could always communicate with, but not necessarily that were a leadership role, like the pastor or the pastor's
3: wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Come from very was, different worlds.
3: Yeah, it, I very vividly remember the first time I went to a Baptist service, and I was like, "This is very different." <laughs> in in some ways, it was very cool, and in some ways, it was like, "Oh, this is a very uh, like different way to express your spirituality." But like, <laughs> definitely, just very, very different.
0: So uh, you mentioned. Baptism as like a checkpoint, strict standard checkpoint. Kind of thing. I it's was one baptist- of one
3: of the sacraments of the Catholic faith. <laughs> gotcha.
0: Ours are like eating Chick Fil A. Um, <laughs> so I was baptized at least twice that I know of. Um, wow, we I didn't went, even know that. Yeah, we, we started at First Baptist Atlanta, like mega church in Atlanta, then we went to like a smaller suburban Baptist church. I was baptized there. It was the week after our Pop Warner County Super Bowl, because I remember the pastor mentioned that I sacked the quarterback in that game and was named defensive MVP. Jesus was very proud of me during my baptism. Flex, flex on him, King, flex on him. <laughs> See, Mike, you're not the only former football player here. <laughs> Mike played for UNC, by the way. And I remember the second time I was baptized was at the mega church that I think of as my childhood church, which was basically the same as first Baptist atlanta just elsewhere and with genes i was bab- re-baptized there because
1: first time didn't stick
0: well i was convinced i wasn't old enough to commit to christ the salvation hadn't took and ryan i feel like this is kind of a catholic thing where it's like i don't know if any of this is working right like is there any
3: yeah so so basically the the parallel the parallel in catholicism is you get baptized when you're a baby you are baptized 100 percent within your first year In most cases, my daughter, when my daughter was born, she had to go to the NICU and they, they came and they were like, if you want somebody to come and baptize her, she's four days old at this point. Like, we can arrange for that. And that's partially, at least, why confirmation is sort of the the grown-up, you are old enough to make your own decisions.
0: Got it. So Kind you, of version of it. You've been moistened, and now you are aware of what it meant.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, basically, bapt- as I understand it, baptism of infants serves two purposes. One, and grandparents really lean on this a lot, it's basically like if you don't do this and your baby dies, they might go to hell. Sure. And two, Like, the more functional part of it is in the actual, like, ritual of it, it's mostly about the priest talking to the parents and saying, like, do you promise to, like, do these things? Raise your child in the church, shelter them from evil, like, help them, like, make a blah, 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 blah. So, like, there is, like, sort of a less threatening component to it. Okay. In terms of just like, this is where you are officially saying to the church, I'm going to raise my kid in this faith. And I, pro- I, know, and I know that has certain responsibilities. That
0: come so up. even in Catholicism, even though you're sort of engaging with the concept multiple times, it's still orderly. And it's not, I was not the only member of like my youth group who was like, oh man, I don't know if the first one took. I got it. Right. Mike dunked once mm-hmm. or, or twice or. I <laughs> Never dunked. Never dunked. Okay.
2: Yeah. No, no. Um... Finger rolls and layups only, baby. <laughs> yeah. No. um, There's a couple things. We changed churches a couple times, as I mentioned before. Once I got to the point where I was fifth sixth grade i didn't want to do the other stuff it was like a whole ordeal of you gotta you know you have to go to this meeting and you gotta make sure you know that you want to do this and then you have to go and it was like the first sunday of every month there were two ways that it worked it was either you stay extra or they make everyone stay extra and do it in front of the whole church and like we were at one church that they'd had like the big thing of water right behind the podium and everyone was like going into the water and their suits and getting and i was like i don't that's not i don't think that's for me and then the other ones where it was just kind of dunk the head and i was like i don't that one i think the one where it was just kind of like a head dunk that was also like you had to go to some class and extra bible study and i was like i play sports i don't I'm not doing that. What am I going to miss practice for this?
0: (laughs) Just go to, uh, you could have just gone to Clemson and Dabba will do it on the field.
2: That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think whenever they dump Gatorade on him, he's like, oh man, you guys might be washing away my Jesus.
0: Uh, I mean, I think he just says like, all right, now we're, we're cleansed yet again. We're good to go. We're even more good to go. So, I mean, I think it's all good. I've been baptized enough for all of us. So sure, it was baptized, <laughs> <laughs> I was baptized yes. just the regular once. Yes. So obviously, <laughs> uh, we're talking aquatic stuff because we are about to discuss Segway, the King. baptism of the world. First, we have an additional segue. I also wanted to talk to y'all about Christian specific pop culture, this like alternate reality pop culture and not like, you know, you too made an album that's overtly about Jesus or like the passion of the Christ was the biggest movie in the world, but like this whole Christian bookstore world that's marketed directly to Christians with no hope of ever crossing over except, you know, limited cases. How much of an engagement did y'all have with that stuff? Like as kids, as teenagers,
2: from a musical standpoint, a lot. I don't know if you guys know who Kirk Franklin is. Oh, he sure. had like yeah. a crossover crossover hit stomp and that was on like Rap Station, which mm-hmm. was Wild. Was it um,
0: um was it a member of TLC who did a verse on it? Do I have that right? I
2: honestly don't know. I don't know. I just remember Kirk Ferguson say stomp.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: and my mom listens to a lot of gospel music. So all that stuff. Like that was that's a I forgot about that part of my Sunday morning Sunday mornings were when my mom got up, she went to the big we used to have, you know, that big deck, like the big the receiver, the five disc changer, the two two oh yeah cassette, the record player, the whole thing and like that glass case. That's when she would put on the gospel music and it was either she put the radio on, because Sundays on like urban music stations, they they play gospel music. They weren't playing like Tupac or, you know, T- even TLC or whatever. They were playing just only gospel music up until one o'clock.
0: And they still do that to this yeah. day. Like they go straight from the club to church at like 6am. Yes.
2: <laughs> yep. And so we would, that's what we would have on. And so we listened to a bunch of a bunch of gospel music and she would, you know, go to, the, we, we'd go to you guys have media play
3: yes i remember it, this vaguely wow yeah it, like it, wow.
2: it was like a like a they sold books and magazines yeah. and dvds and cds and my mom would go to the gospel section and pick out you know whoever she liked and so that was to me that was the biggest one was gospel music because my my mom and my grandma my, mom, my dad's mom they both were pretty deep into that gospel music scene nice.
3: um this is another like big catholic distinction i was aware of all of these things they do like they don't use the catholic church they don't and it's largely because the catholic church has its own merch so to speak like this is why you have saints medallions books and stories about the catholic saints that's their whole thing is they're sort of like yes we do have secondary gear we want you to purchase like we have microtransactions in (laughs) this game but they are all geared toward they are by and large all geared towards um either saints or popes. Devotional candles fall into this category one hundred percent. Okay. But it's all it's all geared towards that. And there's not I think it was before we started recording but Felder mentioned Left Behind. That's not a thing we ever discussed. Passion of the Christ is the only thing okay. that I ever saw cross over. And by and large, it's very self contained. It's okay. very, very self contained. All of the like popular Christian pop and rock groups. Like, I don't think we ever listened to them. I don't think we ever talked about them. Just not a fact.
0: Emily and I grew up the complete other world where it's like, like yeah. we grew up on Christian punk and metal and whatever and like you go to a Christian bookstore and there's a chart that's like, if you like Outcast listen to Grits, you know like <laughs> yeah. it gives you the entire, shout out to right. Grits, I, I mentioned them for a reason because they still hold up pretty well.
1: <laughs> yeah, Christian bookstore was my music store. I remember like Sunday school teachers would literally take us there if we achieved some accomplishment within our Sunday school <laughs> ranks yeah. and we could go and pick out a CD and I was the one that was like, ooh, well, if I get five mixtapes, then that's the same price as a CD, so I would like end up with 50
3: songs instead of 10
0: 50 tooth and nail records yes exactly exactly aiming the system
3: yes so like part of part of why i think this doesn't happen in the catholic church is that like they had this phase just like centuries ago where they were like yes michelangelo we will pay you to make the Sistine Chapel. Yes, famous composer, we will pay you to write a Requiem Mass or something like that. So they already like, they did this, but it was in a very different time and in a very different system. And now
0: they're just playing the hits, like Handel's Messiah. Pretty much. We already got Handel's Messiah. We don't have to, we don't don't need a a Christian version of Bach, you know. (laughs) I wanted to mention this because I'm curious how much of a... As we sort of age out of certain things about church and whatever, at least multiple of us within this group lapse to some degree, how much of that music still takes hold in, like...
2: It's not that the music hasn't taken hold. Like when I hear it, I know it. And I was listening to, I was actually listening to a podcast called uh, Culture Kings and they were doing a little, they were talking about the church music, the gospel music they grew up listening to. And I was and listening to it with my wife and I was like, yeah, I know this. And I started singing the song and she goes, well, you know, all these songs. And I was like, yeah, what do you think? I don't know. Order my steps. What are we <laughs> yeah, I know all these songs. And so like when I'm around my mom or whatever, she puts it on, I'll listen to it. But for me, music just as a whole hasn't taken a big hold because I've been, I'm so deep into that podcast game. Interesting. Okay.
0: Ryan, I assume when you listen to DMX these days, it's primarily <laughs> because of the prayers at the end of each album. That- yeah,
3: right, right. Oh, that reminds me of the other big difference between Catholicism and Protestantism. Thank you. I'm glad DMX could be the thing that brought us here. <laughs> so, So one of the big parts of most Christian services is the presentation of bread and wine mirroring what happens in the Last Supper. Catholics have a very specific view on what happens during this during the ceremony in mass called transubstantiation most faiths most non-catholic faiths say that this is a symbolic ritual that we are sort of like doing the thing that jesus did before he before the ultimate sacrifice and we are doing this sort of to pay homage in some respects catholicism does not say that catholicism says that when the priest takes the bread, the wafers, and the wine out of the sacristy, out of the special like chamber where they are kept, and blesses them and goes through the certain steps and whatever, that they literally become the flesh and blood of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. That is, and that is a big point of contention through religious history. And I will say this. It's not a thing that like gets talked about in mass. It's talked about in sort of vague ways, but there is no point where the priest is like, all right, this is blood now,
0: Okay.
3: get excited y'all. Okay,
0: so it's not like literally we have zombified and liquefied Christ.
3: Correct, Okay. correct, yes. You so guys get saying, real wine? Yes, we got real wine.
2: Grape juice always.
3: No, we yes. got real wine. <laughs> always grape juice. Yeah,
0: it's was, it was like a uh, purple Kool-Aid here. No,
3: real, I mean not, look, listen, am I gonna pay $28 a bottle for it? No, but <laughs> there's no <wine. laughs> so yeah like i i definitely had a phase probably like in my i'm unsure what i'm doing with catholicism maybe in like late high school through like most of college where i was very moved by the art and architecture of the catholic world like the big catholic cathedrals Um, stained glass, some of the music. And I still find those things interesting from a like historical and cultural perspective, but I don't think they have really like locked onto me from the spiritual place.
0: Okay, well I think I know what will. Bible Adventures, (laughs) the NES (laughs) game from uh, the year 1990. I gather I'm the only one who actually played this thing. Um, I
3: can can confirm that I have not. (laughs) Yeah,
0: me
2: either. Me me either, I was, we're we're deep deep in the Contra world. (laughs)
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm sure at some point someone thought about making a Christian bootleg of Contra. (laughs) This was a Christian knockoff of Super Mario Two, completely overt. You play as Moses, Noah, or David. In the Noah level, you are running around with a stack of cows, monkeys, pigs, (laughs) chickens on your head, delivering them into the ark. Like it looks exactly like Super Mario Two. Like there's platforming. Oh my
2: god! Oh my god! uh, It
0: was made. The company that made it, their name was, I believe, Color Dreams, and they were trying to make knockoff, bootleg, unlicensed NES games. Like when you buy an old NES game, it has a seal on it. Um, Mm -hmm. apparently the The software was easy, the hardware was easy to crack, like it was easy to make a game that would play in an NES, but Nintendo's big stick was they could say, all right, we're going to go to Toys R Us, Walmart, whatever, and tell them not to sell your stuff if it's not licensed. So this company looked around and they said, hmm, where can we find a retail establishment with national reach that does not already sell Nintendo games? We are changing our name, Wisdom Tree. We now make Christian video games. (laughs) Uh, they did it for a few years. They made money off it. We had. They apparently. I did not play this one. Spiritual warfare, a total knockoff oh of my the God. Legend, <laughs> the Legend of Zelda, a total knockoff. The Legend of Zelda, a game in which already your shield has a cross on it. You're collecting the Trinity to defeat a demon. That wasn't Christian enough. Uh, they oh. also did. They also did a knockoff of Wolfenstein 3D, where you are wow. Noah. You are Noah on the Super Nintendo, going around with a slingshot, shooting fruit at sheep and wow. ostriches and stuff, so they go to sleep.
3: Wow! And weirdly, there's Robot Hitler in that one Robot too. Hi-
0: you have to murder Robot Hitler on the Ark. Yes. Oh
3: my God! And these were all for sale at the Christian bookstores. Christian
0: bookstore, and yeah. by the way, you can still buy them online. And also, it's keep- great.
3: That's great hustle. I love that.
0: It's incredible. they, yeah. found, they found an outlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and the Lord used it to minister to many youths, such as myself. <laughs> Speaking of worldly pop culture, about Noah, we all watched the Darren Aronofsky film starring Russell Crowe entitled Noah. It's time for movie club. How do we feel about this film?
2: Oh man! Well, let's start with the journey to finding this on the television because
3: (laughs) what was your i i know how i did it what was your path
2: so well here's the problem i looked up noah and i was like okay we have it available on demand i'll watch this tomorrow on the tomorrow i said noah's ark into the remote control and two other things came up yeah, um, A Hallmark two-part series with John Voigt and Mary Steenburgen. <laughs> didn't see and that a- another movie with people I've never seen before on a channel I didn't even know I had, And so I had to get into the DM and go, hey, we watching <laughs> we're watching, watching the these? John Boyt one, right? <laughs> <laughs> then I realized, oh, this movie's just called Noah. Boom, got it. Yeah, um,
3: it's very long. And I think Felder took more notes than I did. But my big note is this. This is not a time when humans were wearing pants. Right? Like they yeah. show them strolling around in, like, not just pants, but like pants with seams. Yeah. And I'm like, no. Everybody was wearing like the big cape the bit like what you think of like the shepherds Rose. wearing like they were there were no pants at this point That's ridiculous. At one point. Noah has a shirt with buttons. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No
1: There, there were many times that I was looking at the clothes saying just because they turned them inside out doesn't mean they didn't make them actual clothes for this
2: <laughs> um, Yeah, that's the first note that I think I wrote is, um, Too many pants. What's up with these shoes? <laughs> Everybody was wearing sandals. In the real, in reality, everyone's wearing in reality. In these stories, everyone is wearing sandals all the time. Right, right. This guy has got on hard bottom leather work boots. Yep.
1: What is happening? They're they're very smart, very
3: smart. Well,
0: Noah needed good supportive shoes for his combat scene two minutes into the movie.
2: Oh there, yeah. There's a lot. Happened. So
3: there's a lot of like technologically, this movie doesn't know where it exists. There's like blacksmithing happening at one point there's basically a proto gun yes yes the flare gun gun. (laughs) yeah technologically this movie is taking some liberties i was a little disappointed how they just sort of gloss over the construction of the arc they're just like it's time to build it you mean the rock monsters? Yeah. Yeah. Because
0: Noah had some help in this movie, Ryan.
3: That's right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I just, I like, I wanted, I wanted more montage of like. Okay. Building. building. Cutting down trees, putting them together. I wanted a blooper scene where like a whole wall falls apart and Noah looks at Shem and it's like, come on, man. I told you to brace that yeah what are you doing here
0: and we needed more angel humor like there's a scene where the if you haven't seen the movie um, there are these angels encoded in rocks who are fo- they're like f-
3: iron giants yeah they-, they have like kind of a transformery feel to yeah them. they very much
0: they're
2: like rock transformers
0: <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they left heaven to assist humans and now they're cursed on earth because they're trapped by rocks, so they can't fly and they say well while we're here we like God who's called the creator this was the w- number one most offensive thing about this movie to like online christians is that they don't call god god they call him the creator like yeah who cares um but the angels like the creator and noah likes the creator so the angels are like we will help you also the main
2: angel voiced by nick nolte yeah um oh, wow. He's and still working yeah, yeah.
3: Well, voice well, work, voice work mostly anyway
2: yeah oh by the way I we watch every i'm closed caption all day guy they, they capitalized every time they said he and him
0: ah okay. uh, good okay good smart I just I noticed that you'll get emails if you don't so yeah so Noah and his angel friends are building the ark because God has revealed to him by the way not just revealed to him revealed to him via a like series of difficult to encode dreams um disturbing imagery he has to go seek counsel on the mountaintop
3: yes his grandfather gets him high Yes. Yes. That is part of this movie. His grandfather gets him high to help him figure out what to do. His
0: grandfather, Methuselah, who was still alive until the age of 969. And he did, in the Bible, die during the flood. Played Mm -hmm. by Anthony Hopkins, who I don't believe is Bill. He just sort of shows up.
3: Yeah. And it's like,
0: right. oh, cool. But yeah, he gives him some, uh, some special tea and there's a lot of like herbal stuff in this movie.
2: Yes. Are like, they vegetarians? Very much so. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like Noah is an aggressive eco-terrorist in this movie.
3: <laughs> I, I like, I wrote that and I was like, cause... cause there's that, there's that early scene where like the, some of the sons of Cain are hunting an animal.
2: What and... is that robot dog?
3: Yeah, that, that weird <laughs> the little robot dog. dog was yeah.
2: confusing. Yeah, I don't think like,
3: that one made it onto the Ark. Just for the record. Uh, yeah, he didn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, that must have been the like, last of that species. Yeah. Noah yeah, and is... Then,
2: is it Shem? Shem says... "Is it Shem? No, Ham. Ham says, um, what are they doing to the animal? And he's like, they're going to eat it. They think it gives them power. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's meant to like tie back to Eden, where like pre-violence, pre-fall, everyone just eats fruit and veggies. And like Noah is sort of the... Noah's sort of like the... Like, pre-paleo guy right like paleo guy you only eats meat well <laughs> noah takes it back even further noah's like jurassic guy <laughs> he's on that jurassic diet yes and so we have who else do we have in the movie jennifer connelly is noah's wife
3: yep as as in the Bible, has no name. Right, but she... she she's
0: credited with a name. Uh, is she? It, uh, she is. Mm-hmm. Nama, I believe, is the name they give, which okay. is, mm-hmm. in various biblical interpretations, one of the names offered for Noah's wife, and also, in some biblical interpretations, is the name offered for Cain's sister. Cain, who is in the Bible, and is mentioned mm-hmm. as a metalworker, is our villain in this movie, because this movie has a villain.
1: Because the flood wasn't bad enough. Because the
0: flood wasn't bad enough. We also right, need right. a pirate with <laughs> right. a gun and an army of... <laughs> orc people. A
3: stowaway pirate with a gun. Right, right.
0: A stowaway pirate with a gun who leads an army of like cannibal orgiists camped outside of the art construction facility who go to war with the rock angels. This movie's fucking awesome.
3: It's not what I thought I was getting into in any way shape or form. (laughs) (laughs) And... Can, I, can we skip to the part that I think is most alarming? Yes. The, angel, the rock angels help Noah and his family stay on the boat successfully without like getting boarded with one exception. And then the flood happens. And that's very like, it's extremely metal because there's one scene where they like basically can hear the screams yeah, of the definitely. world drowning, which is horrifying. And this is where it takes a very hard left turn from scripture. Noah decides that the purpose of this boat is not to start over animals and humans. The purpose of this boat is to start over animals. And so everyone on this boat will be the last of humanity. And he's worked it out because in the Bible... All of the sons have wives already and the wives get oh, to go on yeah. the boat. In this movie, Shem is the only one with a quote unquote wife. It's Hermione. He thinks she is barren. She turns out not to be barren because Methuselah did a did a magic. She gets pregnant.
0: And these these and, those two scenes are like seconds apart. Yeah. Anthony correct, Hopkins correct. touches her and, tummy and she immediately runs to Shem. It's right, let's go. Right.
3: And then there is a scene where he Shem and Hermione come to Noah and are like, hey, we're pregnant. Are you excited? And he looks at them and he says, "If it's a son, that's fine because that doesn't fuck up the plan where like this is the last of humanity. If it's a daughter, I will kill it the day she's born." Yeah. I, watching this, I was like, "Whole like I honestly thought we would get to the flood and that would largely be the end of the movie, but then it take then it becomes this whole like weird family murder plot thing yeah. that's entirely different." And I went and read scru- the relevant scripture right after the movie was over because I was like, "Is this in in there it is not <laughs> it is not even slightly in there this idea that noah is about to murder what ends up being twin baby girls
0: and they they it's do a crazy. good job of setting up russell Crowe's physicality both in the fight scenes and the way he's filmed from behind where you see like russell Crowe worked out for this movie that makes yeah. him a very convincing horror movie villain for like the last third of the movie you see him stalking yes. in the rafters and you're right. like oh oh no here comes noah
3: <laughs> he blow he blows up his son's escape raft yeah. right his son and wife are about to like be like nope we will leave even though the dry land is not a thing yet, we will leave rather than let you murder our child. And he blows up the escape wrap. It's yeah. wild.
2: Yeah. The idea of them leaving—they will die. Your your goal's accomplished, but he is like, oh no 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 i must see through this with my bare hands
0: yeah i must i must murder my granddaughters myself
2: that's, oh my that's goodness what I know it about. is so my wife I, every time something happens she goes is this what it's about <laughs> and i was like no, no no that's not no there's not rock monsters there's not oh by the way the rock monsters blowing up yeah yeah as they get killed, they get to go back to heaven, and then they also are landmines. Yes, yeah, that blow up the the people trying to board the boat. Another note from my wife: How do they steer?
1: I said the they, same. I thing. don't. I don't think they do.
2: The ark itself,
1: right? I the, yeah. I said the same thing. I don't think that they do either. Because my question is: After all of this time, and you're in a flood. How do they basically end up where they started from?
0: Yeah, because in in scripture, we assume they're starting somewhere either Canaan or around Babylon, and they end up on Mount Ararat, which is in eastern Turkey. They did not go very far.
3: Right. I would also like to me, the best shot in the movie, the flood has started. They zoom way, way, way out to view the earth from space, and the earth is just hurricane circles. This scene it's so good. This
0: scene is during Nick Nolte's death scene when we see him flying out to heaven, bearing the message to God that these people, they're willing to do the whole thing. Are you sh- right? Like they don't show this, but I think it's communicated that Nick Nolte is going up to vouch for Noah and say, like, this dude's crazy. We need to right. <laughs> <laughs> we need to call God. him off before he stabs somebody. <laughs> So Nick Nolte goes up there to convince God, to, and they don't show any of this, but right. you know, if you've read Take the Bible your enough, you're good at filling in details. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other good thing point. about the sky is for the fr- pre-flood, you can see stars in the daytime. Right. Which I assume is meant to reference the firmament, the ocean cap that is over the world until the flood. But
3: it looks and, pretty. And well, that and like the earth's like plumbing blows yes. all at right. once. It's yeah. just right. like guy, ge- which is also a- geysers. The- geysers. Yes, unrealist. the geysers.
0: Which is um a-, a relatively rare thing among flood myths. In Gilgamesh, the water comes down, and Noah, the water comes from every direction. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness! Yes. Did they have
2: they have sleeping potion in the Bible? Yeah.
0: Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) So this was an extremely clever hack to the big question of not only do you have to fit all these animals, but how do you keep them from eating each other, from like mating during the entire time? And where do you store all their food? Yeah. Because it's
1: a big boat, but it's not that big.
0: So yeah, yeah, they have a magic sleeping potion that puts them all in cryo-sleep.
3: So the movie, that reminds me, the movie and the scripture disabused me of the whatever notion I had assumed. I, my vague memory of this story was, God comes to Noah, he says, you're gonna build a boat, he gives him the specs, And he also says, and you're going to go out and get two of each animal. That is not what happens either in the movie or in the Bible. It's basically you build the boat and I will sort of like send the signal message to the animals and they will come to you. Because that was always the thing where I was just like, how? How on earth is he supposed to become like Jack Hanna all of a sudden and go find two of every animal? And in the movie, it's it's almost like spring training. Where they're like, all right, this is pitchers and catchers day. (laughs) It's birds (laughs) where all the birds
2: go.
0: Yeah. Like, so you have the two visions. You have the Bible adventures where Noah's literally carrying stacks of cows. And then you have this one where Russell Crowe's magic river, the animals all just follow it. Yes.
2: Yes. 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 Um, Like, how do you feel if you're like, you're Ryan, right? And you're an elephant and just like two elephants beat you there. And you're the third elephant and you're like, wait, what?
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, how did they decide? It's confusing because the big deal they make in the movie is that we're saving the animals because animals are innocent. Animals like live in the same way that they did in the garden. But that's true of all animals. Not just like the ones who made the, who like got in the club. It's yeah. rough. Could have built a it's bigger good. boat. Also, what did what did ocean life think during all of this? Were they just like, Wow, something weird
2: is going on? They're just like, this something is awesome. very weird is going on. This is on very cool. Right this is, we we have way more food than yeah. we used to.
1: Well, I'm surprised too though, if this is how it plays out. Why do we not have so much more ocean life if all the ocean life wasn't killed off?
3: I don't know. Just I beached
0: I, whales I, everywhere.
3: W- whalers,
1: I guess. <laughs> yeah.
0: Also, Emily, you pointed out there are no dinosaurs. There
3: are no dinosaurs. And that was
0: right. infuriating once I realized it. We did not get Jurassic Arc.
3: No. But we also didn't get the scene I hope we get where like unicorns don't make it on the boat in time. There <laughs> is show up
0: late. actual non-canon lore. This was unicorns didn't make it because like they were too proud. <laughs> <laughs> like, like someone wrote this in the year 1200 or whatever. Like yeah that's why, that's why the new unicorns.
3: Unicorn had to unicorn had to change outfits for the third time and now kicking it on the Ark. <laughs>
0: it's vanity. <laughs> has,
1: also why wouldn't more birds survive just by being on top of the ark. So Good question.
0: In the in the Bible story, the really funny part is you need two of all animals. You need seven of certain kinds of animals.
1: Right. Clean versus clean unclean.
0: Ones. Which clean animals? We think of that as like those are the animals you can eat. That's but they cattle, but that includes like antelopes, moose, giraffe, oxen. It includes so many other animals, and and he also has to bring on seven of every bird.
1: No, only of their kind, not every species. So we were still killing off a lot of animals.
0: Seven males and seven females. So he needs fourteen turkeys, fourteen ostriches. Fourteen, you know, and also we find in Leviticus that the list of birds Bible includes bats, so we needed fourteen bats. Wow, well
2: they, you know what, they didn't know. It's
3: true. So the (laughs) the Bible version of this also has a thing that is very. It's interesting that it's not in this movie, which is after the flood recedes and after things like calm down and. God says, come out of the boat. He also says like, okay, it's t- it's burnt offering time. So some of these animals got saved from the flood yeah. and are like, cool, here's some like, nope, dead. Yeah. You're immediately a burnt offering. <laughs> Sorry. And this is why they had God to be tarts. clean. The extra right.
0: buffer that you built in from two to seven is so five of them can be murdered as soon as mm-hmm. you get off because that'll make God happy because he hasn't killed enough stuff yet.
3: Right. there, There's one thing I think this, this movie failed to do that I thought was actually more compelling in the Bible. And one thing I think it did a very good job of that the Bible sort of like doesn't touch on at all. I'll start with the second one. Ham in this movie is much more of a character, Mm -hmm. is much more like you start to understand why Ham leaves, why Ham like is not necessarily the favored son of Noah. There's much more context behind the character. Obviously, like one of the most important reasons for that was that the scripture discussion of ham ends up being a christian justification for slavery centuries later yeah basically the argument that like people of africa are descendants of ham the bible says the children of canaan should be servants of the children of the other two sons. So I so I at least appreciated that this was willing to talk about him in a way that wasn't just like, nope, this can be used to explain slavery. The thing I think it didn't do as well, in the Bible, God, because God talks directly to Noah, and because God talks directly in the Bible, and that doesn't happen in the movie at all, nobody plays the voice of God. In the I think it was in the NIV, God basically says, I'm going to wipe out humanity and animals because I made a bad choice, because I feel I regret a choice I made. That is so wild from a theological perspective to take a being that we talk about as all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, and to say that he is capable of regretting a decision he made. It's one thing when, like, the fall from Eden happens because that is a choice that a third party made. But in this part of the Bible, God says, I regret doing this. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird to think about like God can regret, God can make a decision and it's wrong. That's so very different from the way we talk about God in 98% of our exposure to modern Christianity.
0: Yes, Uh, we breeze over what is literally printed in the text. It says God regrets and then God kills everyone. And then God has second thoughts about that too. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know if it's this thing where we feel like in order to follow someone that they have to be perfect. So if they're not perfect, then why would we follow them? But I think that it makes it a lot more relatable
3: when it's someone who's not perfect.
0: (laughs) Because who hasn't wanted to flood the
3: world? Like y'all were saying in the first episode of this show, it's a much more human version of God. It's a much more human understanding of divine power because it is capable of like changing your mind, learning from situations. Being frustrated, like it's it's way more human. Right. Yeah. But the movie really doesn't get into that. No. The movie is just like I had a dream that everyone was drowning, therefore we'll build a boat. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I, I think I think you're spot on with it being more human and it's, there's regret, remorse, like all these things that make human's human to a certain extent, to a lot, I think are hallmarks of being decent and those things all show versus it's my will, this is what it is, and I'm good with it. Like, I think that's very, I think that's an interesting point that you brought up, Ryan, because I hadn't thought about that, but that is what I grew up reading. That's the part that we talk about in front, whether it's the original sin, obviously. He made this. He's clearly not perfect if we're calling this the original sin. And then obviously it got to the point where he felt things were so off from what he thought they were going to be. To, okay, I I need to reboot. Like, this is Xfinity telling you to um, (laughs) unplug your modem for 10 seconds, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, God said we got to defrag earth. The thing I love about the sin in this movie is like there are things where it really adds to the story. The sin in this movie is like, you know, you're destroying the environment. You're murdering each other. In the Bible, the sin that God is maddest about is his sons, which we assume to be angels, um, going down and finding human women too sexy to um, not, quote, take as wives. Mm Mm-hmm that's what God is maddest about. So he punishes humans with, they will have lifespans of no more than 120 years because of what his sons did. So we have the very first, oh, boys will be boys of the Bible. And yeah, there'll be more. Also, there was a woman from France who died a few decades ago who had a confirmed lifespan of more than 120. So nice try, God. (laughs) Got one over on the big guy.
2: I until I was watching this movie, I completely forgot how old people in the Bible were to start.
0: Oh yeah. Methuselah, was when he dies. I don't think it's mentioned in the movie, but 969 in the Bible. We he's talked the l- oldest. We talked a little bit about the weird math in episode one, but like yeah. the numbers are huge.
2: And what are they doing? Yeah. What are they doing? All this. What is it? Methuselah is just hanging in his mountain cave. Dude. He's
0: becoming. He's becoming Gandalf. <laughs> Getting high every day. Yeah. He's becoming yeah. Gandalf on his mountain after many years earlier being a warrior with a flaming sword. That, that, wig, yes, that wig, that wig is terrible. The that they
3: put on Anthony Hopkins. That's that's the dingiest, <laughs> the, stringiest wig. That was it's really the bad. Same
2: look as Thor, though. He looks the same. <laughs> he just doesn't have the eye thing. <laughs> that's true. They really didn't yeah. see Odin on the hill.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also didn't realize. And the movie does a good job of sort of like building a narrative. There's not a lot of narrative in the Bible no. about this story. It's just, it literally is just like God decides to flood. God tells Noah build a boat. God gives him the specs, the animals come, the flood happens. And then it's mostly descriptions of like the waters receding. There's nothing about like what happened on the boat? How is everybody doing? What happened outside? The The movie had to add a lot to have a coherent narrative. And I think it does a pretty good job of like giving you something that you can wrap your brain around that mostly hits the right points Everything on the boat after the flood is so wild that I can't even really deal with it. I really can't.
0: <laughs> the stories of the Bible, they are so scarce on details, on characters, on motives that there is so much room to color in between the lines, and we've been taught how to do that. We've been handed a version of what that is, to see someone take what is literally there, take the lines and paint them in ways that no one ever would have thought to do so. It's it's so jarring.
1: Well, I think the difference too is that like when you hear the story of Noah outside of like this movie or going back to really really look at the meat of it, everyone focuses on how noah saved these animals everything is focusing on the people who lived and the animals that lived but no one tells what that means for the rest of the world and so this movie really brings to light the rest of the world
2: yeah, yeah. aronofsky right this yeah. is black swan the wrestler yeah. Requiem right. for a dream this is his I most mean- cheerful movie <laughs>
0: It ends. It,
1: it, <laughs> it ends, ends with a rainbow.
0: <laughs> it ends shortly after a man nearly murders his granddaughters. Yeah. Did
2: they find him naked?
0: By yes, the way.
3: Yes. 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 And that's yes. in the Bible. My, my, drunk, naked Noah. Yes.
2: Yeah. Once he comes back, he tells this, I guess, grandkids this story that is horrific. <laughs> When he gets back, when he returns, I mean, it is... I mean, he took a big swing. Yeah, like,
0: Noah at no point is he like, I really, really regret that I almost killed my granddaughters in front of my daughter-in-law. He's still, to the end, even as he is reconciling with Emma Watson, he still views it as, I failed God. And she has to tell him, like, no, God picked you because he knew you wouldn't kill my daughters. At no point does he... This is my only actual beef with the movie, is at no point does Noah apologize to emma watson for the trauma he put her through Because like sure the yeah. kid isn't killed but like almost right that is also
2: yeah. bad yeah. yeah um also better babies than american sniper those babies <laughs> yeah.
0: did not look great emily was but watching they were and still she said, better than that baby yeah emily emily said these babies are so fake
1: <laughs> yeah oh it was really very fake i'm like what well, i just didn't understand why they had to be like that <laughs> and i love
0: this is the thing that jumps out as fake in a movie where like Thousands of snakes are <laughs> like herding toward a boat. <laughs> like, yeah. This is the fakest looking yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, before we go, one thing I want to do is try and convince everyone here this movie is quite scripturally accurate. I realize this is uh, ambitious. So the Watchers, the Korgs, the Angels, these guys come from the, the book corgs. of Korgs. <laughs> the Korgs. <laughs> These guys come from the book of Enoch, non-canon, but still scriptural. Uh the name Samyaza of Nick Nolte, that's from the book of Enoch. Golems, the rock clay monster form that's Jewish folklore. Really the only thing they changed was they made them less horny for humans. That's the only thing they changed from the scripture. Yeah, none um, of that was in there. The met, like they could have gone way further with the rock monsters.
1: But no one would believe. No
0: one would want to watch that. <laughs> Um, the the magical gold (laughs) snake skin, there's a magical gold snake skin that they use as their like heirloom, their connection to Eden. And you see- Where all the magic lives. You see, you see a scene where like the serpent, the tempter emerges from the snake skin and becomes evil and they hand down the snake skin and it's like, oh, this is a total invention. But Genesis 321, God gives Adam and Eve a skin of an animal. We assume this means like, you know, a bear skin coat or whatever, but like it could have been a snake skin.
2: It could have been a snake skin.
0: The magic gold medal, it's called Zohar. It's not in the Bible, but there is in Ezekiel and Daniel a mysterious heavenly light source called Zohar. Zohar is also the name of the most important book of the Kabbalah. The Jewish mystics, who Aronofsky also references all throughout Pi, mm. a movie that's like ten times weirder than this one somehow. Tubal Cain mentioned in the Bible as a metal worker. In lots of extra lore, he is like the founding titan of industry. It does not say he's a pirate with a gun, but <laughs> <laughs> um, Enoch is mentioned as a guy who warns everyone that God will destroy the earth with fire Enoch is sort of the first one to get like glimpses of the prophecy Genesis 5 24 Enoch is, does not die he is taken by God so we do know Enoch had this like weird connection with yeah
1: God. that part I even when we were doing the last episode I was like why is he the only one who's mentioned who doesn't die he was literally taken
0: so it, one difference is in the book Noah like verbally curses Ham and his descendants in this one, he doesn't actively do it. He, like, does it by not taking uh, Ham's wife on the boat, thereby cursing his lineage because there is not one. There are changes and there are additions. I don't know that there are big contradictions. Like, the only contradiction I could find were the number of wives. Like, in the Bible story, they all enter the boat with wives, each of the sons. Yep. In this one, only Shem does.
1: And then apparently the twins become wives for Yeah, Ham and the and two baby Japheth. girls
0: that were zygotes, <laughs> when and Emma just, Watson enters the boat, they're going to be future wives. It's for just at kind least of disturbing. Yeah. For at least Japheth. Yeah. Um, so like Ham doesn't have a wife. That's a change. Um, Ham doesn't tell his brothers about naked Noah. This is what Noah's most pissed about in the Bible story is um, Ham goes and like jokes about it. There are also interpretations where Ham, look, Ryan, you're nodding, you know what I'm about to say, where Ham yeah. is, is yeah. looking at Noah. There are interpretations that looking at means a lot more than looking at. Um, and this is what Noah's pissed about. Also Noah's age when his father dies is about 590 years earlier than in the movie. But they did that for motive reasons. Those are the only actual changes I know of.
3: That's accurate. Yeah, it. I think that's right. If you (laughs) you pull from all of
1: these places, I think the big thing here is that there is just so much room for interpretation, and you can find whatever narrative you want to fit. Mm -hmm.
0: So, in my my opinion, this is a uh, totally accurate (laughs) version of Noah's Ark. And oh, and the the murder storyline, like the the story of God's Ark with a C in this is like moving from justice to mercy right and that's what Noah does as well that's how the creators of the movie described it
3: at least I also I also was sort of like there was kind of like an Abraham and Isaac thing going yes. on here Very so nice. I was like okay there is something you can pull from to point to this being part of the scriptural tradition.
0: Any any last thoughts on this movie in which Russell Crowe is blasted with water
2: in the face? A lot,
3: and... He has a lot of different hairstyles. I gotta say, he they had he has like four distinct <laughs> different
2: does. hairstyles really in this movie. Oh my gosh! Yes, he like what Jennifer He's, Connelly so... one hairstyle. Yeah,
1: she stayed the same throughout. She did not age a day. Did Emma <laughs> no. Watson
2: had like lots of little like braids in her hair. Yeah, and yeah, she did yeah, have she the braid across buried... the front, the little mm-hmm. braid crown. But for the most part, pretty much the same. But Noah went through like he had a I don't know how he got that buzz cut. Um, <laughs> Um. I know
1: and it was- <laughs> it was so even.
2: I don't know how he was able to cut his beard so close and have layers where the top part is a little shorter <laughs> where the bottom part is longer. This guy, listen he. whoever's doing that work was a Shem? Who's cutting his hair? Somebody's got some real skills.
1: I did like that they gave the women a voice. You know, mm-hmm. women were punished before because of Eve's doing. So the fact that these women in the movie at least had a voice, they could stand up to the men. That was that was good,
3: yeah. the I think the best scene is when Jennifer Connolly, confronts noah and is like i have done so i have done everything you've asked i've followed you everywhere we built this stupid boat invited all these animals in and i forgave you for all these mistakes you made but she's like if you do this if you cross this line and kill our granddaughters i will never forgive you Mm -hmm. like that was a really really good scene she was like
1: literally foaming at the mouth telling him this
2: i'm glad you brought that up because that was one of my other notes i was like this is acting acting with a capital a i think we did it i think we did it y'all this was awesome. This is very fun. Thank you both for doing
0: this.
3: Thanks for having me. Very us. fun.
2: Thank you. I good am to see you about Father. to get to see you too. I'm about to run this computer upstairs. I'm sitting right at seven <laughs> percent.
3: Go, okay go,
2: hurry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. That was really fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Me. Appreciate ya. it y'all.
0: Bye. See you guys. So that's it for episode two of the Vacation Bible School Podcast.
1: Thanks for joining us again.
0: Until next time on the VBS podcast. God,
2: let's face it. I don't like you. You don't like me. You and I aren't close, but I know you and Shawn Michaels are very close. So tonight, God, I'd like to tell you what I'm going to do with your favorite wrestler. I'm going to send Shawn Michaels down to the fiery depths of hell.